we have to admit we're afraid. And no one wants to say at work, you know, and stand up and go, hi, I'm CEO of this and I'm afraid. I had someone call me yesterday, someone who I really think the world of, she's super smart. And she said, I want to take this job, but my ego says I, sh I should hold out for something better, that it won't look good to people. Welcome to Enoughness. My name is Lisa Wang, national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur. This is a show that dives into the deeply personal stories of top business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes who share the defining inflection points that help them embrace their life's purpose and answer the question, how much is good enough? Today on the show, we have Beth Comstock. She's GE's first ever female vice chair of business innovations. She built her career from storyteller to top media exec to CMO and then to GE's vice chair. For nearly three decades, she worked at GE, leading their efforts for new growth and innovation. She initiated their digital and clean energy transformation and has seeded new businesses, enhancing their brand value and inventive culture. Today, she's the author of the newest book, Imagine It Forward, which focuses on the lessons of what did and did not work throughout her journey. And today, we're so excited to have her one-on-one -on -one to talk about her lessons and where she's going next. Beth, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. So, congrats on your new book. Thank you. It's been, um, it's been a lot of work, so it feels good to get it out in the world, but also scary. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to just start there and... Um, you know, you, you mentioned that it's a little bit scary. So you've spent this much time building your career through GE. And now that you're out of the corporate world, you're doing this sort of entrepreneurial pursuit. Yeah. What is that like? Yeah, well, I think most people would be surprised to say that I find a book as an entrepreneurial pursuit. Um, but it is a very interesting experience. I have a publisher, Currency, Penguin Random House are very good, but a lot of things you have to do on your own. I have to create a team that can help me get organized, help me with everything from events to PR to help me figure out social media. So I've had to you know, find people on my own. Uh, I've had to figure a lot of stuff out on my own. So I went from this you know, high functioning team that I adored and like we thought we could get anything done and we usually did to just me. And where do you go? And I, um, I just had to spend a year kind of figuring it out. And things I thought, oh, this was easy. It'll take me five minutes. Like five hours later, I'm on like Google G Suite trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to set up my business account. Or I had five different. I went through five websites until I found the one mm -hmm. I wanted. And so I, um, I think people would be surprised to hear that publishing a book is very entrepreneurial. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think there's a lot of people. Uh, especially some entrepreneurs who who feel that it'd be very glamorous to you know write a book and be that author. Yeah. Do you feel the glamour? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, in the sense that one, I'm in an area I know nothing about. I don't know publishing. I've had a, I've had, <clears throat> excuse me, I've had a really good education on it in the past, certainly the past two years. Um, so I'm in an uncharted territory for me. So I'm the kind of person when I go, I love to discover and kind of see new things, but I tend to listen and absorb. And you know, my gut instinct would maybe this, but I don't know publishing. So is this the right instinct? So it took me a while to kind of stand back and learn. Um, and it's not glamorous in the sense that there's just a lot you're doing on your own because it's you. It, no one cares about this product as much as you. I think that's where an, a pure you know, product entrepreneur and an author maybe would have a lot in common. It's your baby. 
There can't possibly anyone who cares about it as much as you do. I was somewhere yesterday and I was doing an event and someone left my book on a table and I was like, oh, oh don't no. leave my little book alone. That's my, that's yeah. my life. And, you yeah. know, you imagine the people who are like, I'm done with this. And, it, you know, it gets thrown in the book reuse heap or whatever. Yeah. That's hard. Um, and um, I just, it's a lot of work, just grunty, you know, yeah. figuring out like I spent a month doing my direct mail email list, yeah. trying to go through contact. You know, those are things often you have to do on your own or figure out how to get them done. How long did it take you to write this book or, you know, from inception to sale? Yeah. Well, my husband says I've, he knew I was always going to write the book, so he seemed to have known it longer than I did. But um, I think I had an idea toward the end of my GE time. I I just saw, I, I saw there were a lot, I wanted really to kind of reach mid-career people and share some of the lessons I had learned. And I saw it from the people I was interacting with, customers and GE, especially mid-career, kind of feeling like they wanted somebody to give them permission to take risks and try things. And I was like, oh, I, I, gotta, I gotta get this out. So that probably, maybe that was five years ago, six years ago, I thought, oh, I wanna, I, I was doing a class, um, mm. a, a management class, and that kind of helped me crystallize it. Then I had met a book agent, Elise Cheney, and she said, hey, why don't you turn your idea into a book? It took me about a year to get a proposal um, mm-hmm. together, and Elise is a stickler for a really good proposal. And then um, I had to find a co-writer because I had a job, and I didn't have confidence that I could write it on my own, and I needed someone with perspective. So um, the publisher introduced me to Tall, mm-hmm. who was my co-writer, and that took us about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of writing for both of us, a lot of tense moments because he had to get my books very personal he had to get in my head Mm. um i had to you know he he had to fight me like no no one cares about that you know (laughs) so we'd have those tense moments and then about a year of editing what why did you not have confidence that you could do it yourself well i love to write i've always written in my life i just i'd never written a book Mm. i i also felt i was too close to it you know i had had these experiences i thought they were useful i taught this class hey people find it useful and so I didn't have confidence that I knew how to take it from my head into, you know, the computer and ultimately the page. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that a lot with new things. I don't have the confidence in them. Um, and so I'm a good student. I like to learn. Now I think, okay, I could do this again. Yeah. I think that a lot of people would be surprised to hear that the first vice chair of GE, the CMO, the, this, this woman, um, has that same feeling of, of lack of confidence yeah. and not enoughness. So I want to take it back a little bit to um, you as a you know, 20-some-year-old woman. Um, you talk about this experience in your book, but um, initially you said that you're, you're really a fundamentally shy person. Yeah. Um, have you always had this sort of kind of confidence crisis and where do you think that came from? Yeah, I have. I've thought about that a lot. I don't know where it comes from. I, I had two great parents and I grew up in a small town. I had lots of reasons to be nurtured and given confidence that I could do things. But somewhere along the way, I just questioned myself. And I think as, especially as I started to work, it became more pronounced. Um, I just didn't have confidence in it. it. To this day, I still struggle with it. Not as much. I mean, I, I think now I look back and I go, wow, like early on in my career, I want, when I first got out of college, I, wanted, I thought I was going to go to medical school. Then I really wanted to be a science reporter. And um, I didn't, didn't make it very far as a television reporter because I fundamentally was not confident. Um, and I look back now and I think, gosh, if I had the confidence <laughs> today, then, like, what could I have accomplished? But 
partly you need to go through these experiences to get the confidence. I just yeah. wasn't experienced then. What's some of the internal dialogue that, that holds you back? Um, well, it, it's, um, it's, I don't know this, you know, feeling like I have to have some sort of expertise. Um, it's, am I good enough? Always, am I good enough? Um, I think because I'm by nature shy, there's an awkwardness that comes. I don't know if all shy people would say they feel awkward, Mm -hmm. but there's an awkwardness. I mean, you're just, I think you're a little, maybe as a shy person, we're too much in our heads. Yeah. And so (laughs) we overthink things. So I'm just second guessing everything. Mm. Uh, Even today, I went to, I had a, even this, now I went to an event this week and like, I, you know, I said stupid things and I called the host by the wrong name and, you know, and you're just like, and like that haunted me for like four hours afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it's just, so I think these are patterns that are hard to to break and I probably just carried them with me my whole life. And so as you progressed um, in your career, you said, you know, part of it is the journey. What do you think, you know, is that evolution in your mind where you're kind of like, I just have to go for it, even though I have this voice in my head? Well, I think two things, a couple of things happened to me. One I share in the book, I, I got divorced at an early age and had a daughter and sort of chose a path as a single mother just as my career was taking off. So I had to make things work. I mean, there's nothing like instant responsibility um, just as you're starting your career to say, like, you got to make something work here. So uh, any awkwardness or lack of confidence was put back to the sense of I just got to figure a way to move forward Mm -hmm. Um, so that and I was ambitious so that also kind of gave me a drive I think to go to go forward Um, those you know and then I just there were moments when I realized I was holding myself back I was just I wasn't speaking up I saw other people who put ideas out and they were moving ahead and I wasn't. And I would just, finally, I just had had enough. And I was like, okay, I've got to do something. And so I would just give myself these small, small challenges. That's what I tried to share in the book. Like just, it's behavior hacks. It's just really small yeah. things that if you're not in this situation, if you're not shy or you think like, you're crazy, you can't go up to that person and say hi. Like, no, I can't. It's like painful. It's like, it. it's hard to describe. Not only do I just don't want to do it. It just is painful. Yeah. And I think that you hit on that point uh, when you talked about your daughter, which is something that I subscribe to. It's this feeling of when you don't feel like you're enough, the the focus is inward on me, my insecurities, my shame, how are other people perceiving me? But the moment you have a duty, you know, outward, whether that's to inspire, to motivate, to educate, to, in this case, bring someone up, it was your responsibility, suddenly you just don't have the ability to care about your that's own such shame a great and insecurities. Yes, yeah. I think that's a really good point. I also came to realize as a overthinking, awkward person is, you know, you imagine all these other scenarios that, you know, like I'm here talking to Lisa and I'm imagining Lisa's like, wow, why did she wear that plaid shirt today? She doesn't <laughs> look good in plaid. I Meanwhile, you're not thinking anything like that. And even if you are, what can I do about it? I was just thinking how awesome <laughs> your necklace was. <laughs> but so like yeah. I'm, you know, in my head going, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Lisa's now thinking I'm a dope. And meanwhile, you're probably in your head going, oh, Beth's looking at me weird. She's at why she's wondering why I asked her that question. So we're both like in our head and we're not hearing what each other's saying. Yeah. So to that point, I had to learn to like actually, 
Like I was interested. Tap into that curiosity. Ask Lisa, like, what did not just what does she do? Like, what's she interested in these days? What's a good movie she saw? So that was a way to get outside my head to make mm-hmm. it about someone else, not about my weird insecurities that aren't yeah. real. And that's also a really good point because one of the things, and you see this actually in in gendered uh, the gender difference, where a lot of times people who are insecure. And women do this often. They focus on I. Someone mm-hmm. asks you a question, say, why did you do this? Well, I did this, and you try and justify yeah. it. Whereas mm-hmm. you often see when someone is confident, they will ask the question of you. Mm-hmm. They, their energy is outward. Mm-hmm. So, and that's like when you have these insecurities, it's always, it's about me. And so I think you already touched on that. You flip it. It's like, yeah. let me just focus on the other person. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's not like you just say, okay, I'm going to do this. You have to, yeah. you have to, it's like a practice. It's like, yeah. I feel like this behavior change, uh, change is like a diet, right? I mean, yeah. just one step. As you said that, I was reminded, I used to work with this uh, guy at GE and he was this very intimidating man. He was just really curmudgeonly and he once <laughs> yelled at me for popping popcorn or something because I smelled up the office. It was oh, just no. very <laughs> gruff. But but he inside he was a bit of a softy and I came to learn that when he would sit in meetings and he would take a tally of how many times people used I versus we mm. and he would give them a little report card at the end and he'd go, you know, in this presentation it was great but you talked to I all the time. I expect you to be a we person. So I love that you said that. I always took that away from him, that somebody's paying attention to that. Yeah. And the other thing that I recently realized was um, to this point of um, constantly thinking what the other person's thinking, it's, I think about subjective realities often. It's, you know, we all live in our own yeah. head. And yeah. um, this idea that the only thing that's real is our bodies and how we feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that... That often that comes up when you're when you're sick, right? When yeah. you when you're like, wow, I can be com-. like I thought work was so important, and I was killing myself, yeah. and now when my body's like, nope, can't, can't do it can't anymore. Do it. Yeah. And so this idea of how you feel is the only thing that's real mm. and right is something that I found a lot of women have a hard time with because you always question how you yeah. feel. You've yeah. been told to not really exactly. believe that that's real or, or correct. And so um, is that something that you've felt before? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I um, uh, again, back to this divorce story, what, why would a personal divorce story be in a business book? Because for me, it was a defining moment. And it really was this sense of I had grown up in a small town. I was a small town good girl. I kind of lived my life by a narrative that was set for me. And I never stopped to say, well, wait a minute. I did finally stop to say, well, wait a minute. And this isn't the narrative... I want to write for myself. And I had to say, okay, having a divorce and being a failure at this is, I'm failing at this. And I'm not seen as this, you know, prescribed what everybody would have expected me to be doing. And you question it. Are you, am I crazy? Am I a bad person? You know, I mean, I went through all that. And I, you still, I still do that sometimes, right? You do yeah. internalize those things. Yeah. Um, so... You said that there's that point of necessity where you have to you have to take the leap yeah. to, you know, essentially become a change maker in your life. Um, what are some of those moments, you know, going forward in your career, um, 
that you felt like you needed to make a change despite what everyone else might have said? Yeah, one, I think quite clearly, I, uh, I had worked in media, I worked at CBS, and I, I got an opportunity to call one day to go back to NBC, and without going into all the details, but it was at NBC News, and they were in a really bad place. Um, the news division had almost been shut down, and it had its own faked news incident, and it almost brought the news division to its knees. They couldn't hire anybody. Yet, I knew I had to go there. And I was leaving a really good job at CBS, and the network was on top. And it was one of those, I couldn't articulate why. There was no good reason. Um, I was able to negotiate a better title, but I never told anyone that I did not get any more money. Um, So it sounds like I was desperate to take this job, but I just wanted this job. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a clean slate that might have appealed to me. It was rebuilding a team from the, the ashes. It was a PR team I was going to oversee. It was a chance to build a team. Um, and I remember um, as I was leaving, one of someone I knew called and like, "This is career suicide. Do you realize this is really this looks this is dumb? Like you're uh, we all think you've lost your mind. You had such good potential, and it's like, yeah, I know, but I just got to do it." And I feel like that—that um, is—you you don't know why sometimes you just have to do it. And yeah. I'm, it was to this day one of the best jobs I've had. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it unlocked for me my entrepreneurial spirit. I saw when you have nothing to lose, you go for everything. Mm-hmm. And to be surrounded with people who were like that, and to be given freedom in a very small team, there were eight of us. I'm not talking like 800. There were eight of us in this PR team at NBC News, and I felt like I was the queen. Mm. Um, so I would not have known that about myself and maybe I was hungry for that and I just couldn't express it. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that, uh, I mean, one of the things you've touched upon is the fear of change for a lot of people. Where do you think that fear of change comes from? It's fear. I think that's one of the things I try to unpack is just what we have to admit we're afraid. And no one wants to say at work, you know, stand up and go, hi, I'm CEO of this and I'm afraid. Um, uh, we're afraid of losing something. We're afraid of losing power, face, money, job. We're afraid of not knowing the answer. We're afraid of not being perfect. Uh, all those things come into play. Um, you know, it's, it, you, it's easier. I had someone call me yesterday, someone who I really think the world of. She's super smart. And she said, I want to take this job. But my ego says I, sh- I should hold out for something better, that it mm. won't look good to people. And she goes, I know it's my ego, and I really like this job, but am I settling? And I was like, but what's to say you're going to, you know, you just answered it. You really want to take that job, so take it. But it's that, right? It's a mm-hmm. safe face. She wanted to look like she had taken a really big, high-powered job, and instead she was taking a job she loved, or she mm-hmm. thought she would love. So she, she felt like it was ego to take a job that she loved? No, she felt it was ego that was preventing her because ah, the job okay. didn't look good enough. The, the company it. was not, a, you know, it wasn't Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said to me, should I hold up for a Facebook kind of job as opposed to this other job? And so it was a fear in that case of looking like she had settled, a fear of not looking like an ambitious you know, person that she was. So we all have those, yeah. whatever it resonates for us, but it, we, we, it's silly, really. Yeah. And I mean, again, that goes to the subjective reality of yeah. things. Like I can never control what you think yeah. and you can't control what I think. No. And so, I mean, this constant fear of this mass, this gray mass of faces yeah, it's a good right? way to that's, put it. that's amplified by social media, yeah. um, 
which I think especially today is like worse than it's ever been. Yeah. Um, I was listening to someone talking about cyberbullying recently and this idea of, you know, it used to be that when you were bullied, let's say at school or wherever, you could go home to the, sa- the safety mm-hmm. of your home. Mm-hmm. And now you can never escape it. You go home, you're still on your phone, you're still yeah, on your such computer. such a good perspective. Um, and so it's, it amplifies this gray mass. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I know that you've gone through a number of changes in your career. And so one of the things that I was reading about was when you um, got the CMO position at GE and you had said you weren't the obvious choice for it because you hadn't had that direct experience yeah. and you got some you know, public backlash in terms of ad age saying yeah. that you were this um, rare breed of chief marketing officer who didn't have any marketing yeah, experience. Yeah, I don't think they meant that in a good, nice way. <laughs> um, so how did you, you know, what was your thought process and then how did you kind of survive that uh, backlash. Yeah, well, um, partly I was excited about the job. I had wanted the job, so that helped. I um, I just jumped. I, I what's become kind of my move, I guess, is I jumped into discovery. Okay, I, I know I don't. I haven't been a marketer. I came out of media, so I knew something about. It. I had done advertising, so I knew some piece of it. I got to go to school and learn. So I just gave myself ninety to hundred days to just become a student. I read every textbook mm-hmm. I could get my hands on. I called chief marketing officers at other companies. I asked them to for help. I called headhunters. I made myself very vulnerable to just say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there are those few moments in your career where you do that, and I took full advantage mm-hmm. of that. Um, but I also had to say, like, I don't know this. And I hired and helped hire at my company, helped business leaders hire other chief marketers who had that expertise. Because I, you know, I knew I didn't have it. I couldn't pretend I had it. I just needed to figure out what my strength was. And so a lot of it was also saying, I'm in this job for a reason. I'm creative. I'm a good storyteller. I'm a good integrator of people, convene. I look outside. So go to those strengths and the others can follow. Mm. Um, it's interesting, early in that that stint at GE, I did get Jeff Immelt, who was my boss, call me in and say, you know, you're lacking confidence. I expect you to put it out, I, I put out ideas more forcefully. And, um, you know, that was a time where I thought I was mastering and I was, you know, but I clearly wasn't as confident uh, in myself because it was new and, and he saw it. Mm. And I had to make, I had to fix it, I had to fix it. So, you know, I, had, I was accountable to him to put myself out there more. Some of those skills that you talked about, um, you know, being a great storyteller, there's, there's a lot of times I think women are naturally, you know, we're collaborative, we are great at galvanizing, mm-hmm. we're great at empathizing, but oftentimes there's this feeling of that's, oh, those are soft skills. Yeah. Like they're not really marketable. I Can I even, I don't even have value. So have you ever gone through that sort of process? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, and I guess I just now have the confidence of pattern recognition and experience <laughs> to see every leader I've worked with who's a great leader is a communicator. Mm-hmm. They're a strategist. They have to set a vision and tell a story for the future. And um, I'm more confident that, and, and we're seeing like collaboration in the world is too complex. We get too much stuff to get done. If we're not collaborating, it's going to fail. So I feel like the world's going our way for people who are like that. And I'm quite confident in that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so when you are talking about, um, you know, your your next step in your confidence, like switching on that confidence gear, what are some maybe exercises or things that you developed for yourself? 
So it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I kind of subscribe to that fake it till you make it, but I actually think it's own up, own up to what you don't know. You know, mm. I mean, I worry a little bit about, I think you're maybe faking your confidence, but I don't think you can fake what you don't know. Yeah. Um, so I've f- sort of developed it as a practice to say, I don't know. Can you help me? That was a really hard one hack. I got some feedback. You know, you're leaving people behind. You're not asking for help. So to me, that's the best hack I've figured out is to just say, can you help me? And it's humble and you feel like I should know better, but um, you get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, I think other things are um, just to start small, you know, ask for feedback from trusted advisors, people who have your best interest, you know, your mom, your colleagues, mm-hmm. somebody who you go to lunch with every day, not, yeah. not like somebody who intimidates you. Um, but then to stretch yourself and go put an idea out there to a group that otherwise you wouldn't because otherwise you're never going to stretch yourself so and then just like even if it doesn't go well just go but I did it yeah I asked that question even if it was maybe not the best question it's not the quality of the question I just did it I did it so I created just a series of kind of like I did that challenges for myself Mm. I just did it no one else needed to know it was important but I did it yeah that self-recognition yeah exactly you know, it's like you won the New York Marathon and all you did was ask, a, you just spoke up in a meeting and people would not know that that was so difficult for you, but you did it. Yeah. I recently started this uh, exercise where um, every morning I write down three things I love about myself. Oh, good for you. So it's, you know, I had in the past, I know people have heard of like the gratitude journal yeah. where you wake up, you write yeah. three things you're grateful for. But I had noticed that even when I did that, I never was grateful for myself. It was my bed, my family, my friends. So interesting. um, Living in New York City. Um, And when you do the gratitude journal, you start looking for things that you're grateful for. And, but it wasn't helping my confidence, my enough. So what's one thing you wrote to yourself today or this Um, week? So I wrote that I love my ability to connect and inspire people. Um, I started, there was, so I was actually, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm used to actually doing interviews where like people will interview me and I moderating is a completely different skill. Yeah. So I did a panel last week, um, moderating three, three pretty significant people that for me, I felt were out of my league in some ways and, um, had very strong personalities. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it's difficult as a moderator yeah, <laughs> to sometimes yeah. rein people in. Um, and I had some people tell me later, it's like, you know, I, thought you were a great moderator and it just it never occurred to me to appreciate myself for for achieving that so it was like I I love that I'm able to curate a great conversation where people are able to get value from I love that do you ever have days where you're just like so down on yourself you can't even find one because three seems like a lot (laughs) (laughs) I mean sometimes I say you know there was one where I was like you know I I love the fact that I you know can can get up and go to work. <laughs> that's as simple as that. Because sometimes, you know, like sometimes people, you know, don't have that ability. Yeah. I I was listening to actually another podcast today of you know, people who, you, let's say you're stuck in traffic and you're like, oh, the traffic sucks. Like, you know, yeah. I hate this. But then you see someone going by in a bus, a crowded bus, and you're like, wow, I love that I, I'm in this car, I have my tea, yeah. I have AC, and it's, 
you know, I don't have to be on that yeah. crowded bus. Yeah. And so it's all perspective. It is perspective. Yeah. It's, uh, I used to say to some people I worked with, you know, when they would express doubt or I don't think I can do this. And I'd, I'd say, well, you know, I have confidence in you. Why don't you have confidence in you? Or I feel good about what you're doing. Why don't you feel good? At, like, it's also like, don't make, you know, don't make me look bad. Cause if I think you can do it, the least I expect is you need to be able to think mm. you can do it. Right. So you're hearing that like other people see you as yeah. a moderator and you don't, right. Like yeah. they have a good point of view. Yeah. What's wrong with you that you can't see that? Yeah. And it's, you know, this idea of, I think you're amazing. Why don't you think you're yeah. amazing? It's always so interesting. Cause then you look at Celebrities, yeah. right? You see Robin Williams, Michael Jackson, yeah. Whitney Houston, all, you know, Amy Winehouse, these people who it's like, well, the world thinks you're awesome. Why don't you yeah. think yeah. you're awesome? Yeah. To the point that they actually had to, you know, let go of their lives yeah. because their own voice yeah. said that they weren't There's enough. There's such a hole, a gap that was, you know, so yeah. I love what you're doing as a way to just re, re, re nourish yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so it's this this whole thing of how powerful your thoughts are yeah. and how do you reframe those thoughts. And it seems like, you know, you've taken a lot of lessons and perhaps old thought patterns and realized that you had to change in order to get to yeah. your next stage. And one of the um, uh, points in your life that I had read about is when you um, – almost missed out on a promotion early on in your career because of a mistake that a lot of people have. Um, could you talk about that experience? Yeah, well, I am. Um, there was a job. I was at NBC. There was a job that um, had been open for six months, and um, I was convinced they were going to call me for it. And every week went by, and they hadn't called me for it. Finally, after six months, I was like, okay, I, I finally had had it. I, I can't believe they haven't called me. So I got up my nerve. I walked to the head of HR, and I was like, Hey, you haven't filled that job. I was, I'm sure I wasn't as confident as I, but I was, you know, meekly, Hey, you haven't filled that job. I'd like to be considered. Why haven't you considered me? I'd like to be considered. And he said, Oh, we did consider you, Bob and I, we just thought with the mother of young children, this job requires a lot of travel and it's you, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be right for you. I was so furious at him and me at that moment. And it is a common mistake, um, that you don't put yourself out there. And, um, you know, he never asked me and I never told him. I, I never expressed that I wanted that job. I never had the opportunity to say, I'll decide if travel's right for me, not you. Um, and so it was one of those just moments for me where I ended up getting the job. It was a good, and it was another formative job for me. Um, but I always learned like how people can't read your mind. And so, mm. you know, you sit there and wait for someone to, and then you stew and you're like, I can't <laughs> believe they haven't offered me the job. They don't know you want the job. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, you got to put it out there. Why do you think people are afraid to express their ambitions? I don't know. I do think more women are um, suffer this, perhaps. Uh, I love that someone like Tori Birch has chosen ambition as one of the kind of values you see in what she does for women. I thought she's one of the few women I've seen who's kind of grabbed that and said, let's own ambition. I really like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, again, socially, we're not supposed to want to be ambitious. It's somehow aggressive, and um, we should be fortunate for what we have. Why should we have to want more? Mm. Um, I, um, I found something. I was cleaning out some files, and I found this diary, or it was actually a report I did when I was 14. It was an autobiography at 14. You can imagine how riveting my life was <laughs> at 14. But one of the things I said, and I love this. I'm actually going to, like, frame it. Mm -hmm. It was like... Um, I'm ambitious, 
I want to be 50 different things in my life. And I love that I was that at 14. Yeah. And it's taken me, I'm not 14, all these years to realize I'm still that person. And mm-hmm. I love that at 14, I said, I'm ambitious. Where did she go sometimes? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think it's sometimes when I see just kids and like babies on the subway and you stare into their eyes and they're the only people you can stare at yeah. without them thinking you're weird. weird. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, sometimes I think about the way society beats out of you that curiosity that that really it's the curiosity of the world and and then there becomes things that are labeled socially acceptable or not and I think ambition is one of those things um, especially in women yeah and you know it's just social conditioning you're not supposed to want more than your station in life or whatever and it's I mean hopefully that's changing Um, but I think you have to work hard you have to recognize that in yourself I think you have to recognize that I I don't know, it's a whole other discussion, but I sometimes think that may have entered some of the political issues of, you know, perhaps why some women have had a hard time voting for women. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one thing if they just, you know, not because you're a woman, you have to vote for a woman. I don't believe yeah. that. I, there are a lot of women who I won't vote for. But I do think it is that questioning of, is she too ambitious? Should mm-hmm. she be that ambitious from men and women who think that? Yeah. This So along with ambition, there's this idea of self-promotion, mm-hmm. which is something that you've obviously had to do with this book. Yeah. Um, tell me about that, how that's been like. Yeah, I'm sure people would look at me, uh, who anyone who looked at my social media or whatever, like, oh, this is a woman who like loves to promote herself. Um, I don't. I, uh, I do it because I, I feel too, I actually like social media because I like the engagement, I like finding new ideas, I like connecting with people. The putting myself out there, like me, 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 I find it, I'm shy. Mm. But honestly, I always took it as a challenge. I took it as, when I first started social media, I just took it as a challenge of, can you open up? I've been on, I feel like partly my life and my career have been, part of my journey has been, I call it in the book, social courage, but this journey to open up and open my company up. And social media was a way to do that. So I had to get my head around it as, that was what my goal was, not just about see me, see me, see me. Mm-hmm. But that is a part of it, and I don't like that. I don't like yeah. it. I'm yeah. too close to it. Um, I don't have enough perspective. I feel like, I think this a lot, like, people have only so much time in the day. Why do they, why, why are they going to spend it with my two seconds of stuff? So I, it makes me try to work really hard to make sure it's good, too. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's always interesting to me how we've created this society where we love to live vicariously through other people yeah. and it's easier than ever to do so. Yeah. And technically that's something we've always really done, you know, through celebrity, through like people who use others' lives to escape their own yeah. reality. Yeah. And so it's, if I'm not ambitious enough, I'm going to follow someone who's ambitious yeah. and maybe they'll rub off on me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. That's right. Yeah. And, but you also have to realize like I have a book project and the only way it's going to get out there is if I get behind it. Yeah. And so it means I have to promote myself. I have to find a simple way to tell my story. I have to be a hustler for myself. Um, it's really hard. And there's a, unseemly part of it we all know people who promote themselves and they're gross right like the people we all know those people and you're like oh is that me have I become that yeah and so I I go back to what is my goal in doing this to me am I really trying to make a connection and that's if that's what's motivating me then keep going if I have some other motivation then maybe I ought to just assess why I'm here and what I'm doing doing for it 
I found it much easier to, to promote myself as part of a company because mm-hmm. I was promoting the company. It was yeah. back to what you're saying. It's, yeah. It was it was getting outside myself and it was like, it's my job to be accessible for my company. That was a lot easier for me. It wasn't so much self-promotion. It was just me as a vehicle. Yeah. And I mean, going forward in the really this generation and, and the next, it's it's almost this need to have micro-influencers because I think of it as there was a time where if you weren't a tech company you're defunct now I think if you're not a storyteller in a media company in a brand you know you're basically defunct and you because people hate inauthenticity Mm. especially now it's like you're trying to sell something if they don't know the person behind the thing they want to buy um, then they just feel like they're being sold to by some, you know, corporation yeah. or brand. Yeah, no, I think it's so essential. It is all about the story. What's the story that brings you here? And it is trying to be as transparent as possible. I think that was my risk in the book uh, that I put together is I've worked really hard to, as candid as I felt I could be, to share the failures, not just the successes. I thought, how could I tell a story of lessons learned if I didn't share failures? And... Um, but it was risky, right? I mean, you're putting yourself, you're, you, I, I imagined all kinds of reaction people would get. Like, God, this woman, I can't believe she got promoted. She failed her way forward. <laughs> In fact, one time I joked I should have called the book Fail Forward. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it made my publisher kind of nervous because they have, you know. But you, you do worry about what people are going to say about that. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, going forward, you have this book. What do you... Um, see as like next steps for you? I don't know. I I know I'm starting over again. Um, That I'm excited about. This was supposed to be a year of discovery for me. And I kind of, I've learned a lot about myself. I throw myself into a big project and get busy with the work. I got to change that pattern in me. I've done that for too long. So this is, this is, I don't know, kind of like really doing it in a crazy way. So now I'm aware of that pattern. I'm going to change it. So I don't know. I'm going to reenter business in a very different way. I think I want to use my curi- keep using my curiosity. I, I've found my voice a bit more in this. So I think expression and mm. maybe more writing. Um, I like coaching people and being part of helping them brainstorm and think out loud about stuff. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm, I'm open for it. And it's a year ago, I was scared at that thought. A year into that, I have much more confidence about it. What industries are you most excited about? I like media. I've always liked media, the reinvention of media. What does that mean? Um, I, um, I I like anything that's new and starting out. I'm a bit <laughs> yeah. of a, uh, I'm a bit of, I, I, I do like shiny new things. I like sort yeah. of understanding <laughs> them and learning them. So kind of pretty much anything that's new I'm interested in learning about. Um, so I don't, I don't know what, what, what industry I'll, I'll go into. I'm really intrigued about just creative expression and, mm. um, I love art and design. I love to travel. So I don't know, maybe awesome. something along those lines. And what do you think if you had to define your legacy or, you know, life mission going yeah. forward, what would that be? Well, looking back and partly, I mean, there's nothing like writing a book to synthesize and reflect on what you've done. If I, if I had a legacy at GE, um, it would have hopefully been to help open the company up. I mean, to open them up to be more open to collaboration, partnerships, new ideas. And in the process, I opened myself up. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the connections I've made as a closed, shy person. I'm really proud of that. Um, and then going forward, if social courage was my this to this far, I think creative courage is my next act. Can right. I really get courage 
to be as creative as I possibly can without those gray faces, as you call them, mm-hmm. that are in my head telling yeah. me I'm not good enough. Yeah, well, I'm very excited to see where you head after this. Um, so thank you so much. This Thanks, Lisa. An it's really great. Conversation. Thank you. The last section of this is just the one thing. So I'm going to share with you some questions okay. and just get your one things. Okay. Um, so first thing, outside of your own, what is one book that you unhesitatingly recommend to our audience? I love uh, Twyla Tharp's Creative Habit. It inspired me to write my book. It's really, if you feel like you're not creative enough or creative at all, it's what we're, it's behavior change to make your to add more creativity to your life. Great. Um, so, what is one mantra that you live by? Um, uh, to live a curious and inspired life. Great. And if there's one thing that you could bring with you to a deserted island, what would it be? Hmm. That's a good one. It, 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 a thing. You're not saying a person. A thing. <laughs> it would probably, it would be, um, it would have to be a really good book. I don't know, I, I don't know what the one book would be, but I'd want some book that I'd want to read forever. Mm. What's one piece of advice you would give to yourself looking back? Um, I would say, don't worry so much. Stop being such a worrywart. It, it'll work out. Um, and that, that is just something I still need to tell myself. (laughs) Um, And then, because I want to make this as actionable as possible, what is one challenge that you want to issue to the listeners today that they could do, you know, right after this? Yeah, I mean, just what's one risk you're going to take? You're going to give yourself permission to take one risk on something that scares you. Um, and I don't mean you have to go f- jump out of a plane. I mean, <laughs> like, what's one simple r- risk you're going to take and then pat yourself on the back and go, I did it. I awesome. did it. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I created the Enoughness podcast to reveal the real stories behind the leaders we admire to address this universal question that we all have at some point or another. Am I good enough? So just remember that you're not on this journey alone and that you do have the power of enoughness. If you want the full show notes and transcript from today's episode, go to www.lisawang.co slash podcast. Again, that's lisawang.co slash podcast and you'll be able to follow along. I'd love if you could leave a review or tag anything that you share on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag enoughness. And you can find me at LisaWorks, L-I-S-A-W-O-R-X on Twitter or Instagram. Catch you in the next episode.